All right. We're going to start today in uh, the book of Job. So if you want to be getting over there, Job chapter 38. But uh, I, got a, I got a question. What do you call a dog that does magic? Somebody's got to know that, right? No? A labracadabrador. Uh, I know, that was pretty stupid. Nobody ever said I was the brightest bulb in the house. In fact, you know, during the pandemic when everybody was doing the testing and all that stuff, you know, I took an IQ test. And it came back, obviously it came back negative. All right, I know, I'm, you can slap me after class if you want to. All right, we uh, started last week a study of the angels and uh, what we call ministering spirits. And in fact, we read a scripture from Hebrews chapter 1. It says, the angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Okay? And we talked about the fact that the word angel in the Hebrew is malak or malak, something like that. That's, by the way, that's a southerner trying to speak Hebrew, if you didn't get that. Uh, but anyways, uh, and it simply means messenger. The word means messenger. And we read several instances and terms used for angels in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we understood that angels are created beings, right? They've been created, and they are part, they are in service to God and in service to us as we are children of God in our journey trying to uh, receive that salvation, trying to spend eternity with the Lord, and they are there to help us out. And this, uh, their ministry as messengers has been evident all throughout the history of man, right? And we can read a lot about it in the Old Testament. And today we're going to kind of take a little survey of that, right? During the patriarchal age, all the way from uh, creation to the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, and then the Mosaic age from Mount Sinai when the law was given all the way up to the time of Christ. We read a lot about angels and how they worked with Israel, how they worked with the patriarchs, how they worked with those who God needed to deal with. We're going to read a little about that today and go over some of that. It's really amazing when you go do a study like this how much, how many uh, scriptures refer to angels or the angel of the Lord or the messenger or a watcher or a helper. You're going to see a lot of that today. And so that's, that's something we, I think we need to appreciate. We know we we hear so much about angels. We talked about that last week, all the myths that are out there, right, in, uh, in the media and all the myths that are out there that have come through history and the artwork that we have that's, you know, really not true to the Scripture. I mean, it, you know, you can paint it whatever you want, but, you know, things like the, there's no mention of angels having wings in Scripture. And we talked about the fact that pretty much all the, all the angels that are mentioned in Scripture are, are male, as far as we can tell. There's no mention of a woman that's an angel or a child, like, I don't know, Cupid or, you know, shooting his arrow or whatever. So there's a lot of myths out there. There's a lot of things in history, in the media, in our artwork, in our literature that talk about angels that, yeah, that's fine if you want to have your little fictional depiction of an angel, but it's not like what we see in the scripture. We're going to begin today in Job. We're going to talk about the patriarchal age. Uh, the time before the flood, we can see in Job where angels are mentioned, particularly in chapter 38 there. And let's begin in verse 1. He says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, 
and you shall answer me. He's going to give Job a little test. Remember, Job was afflicted. God allowed Satan to afflict him. Job never sinned. He did question, though. He did wonder, why is this happening to me? And God is going to answer him this way. In verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding, Job. Where were you when I created the universe? Verse 5, who determined its measurements? Surely you know, Job, or who stretched out the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Wow, there we have a reference to angels. In the, in the New King James, it's referred to as sons of God. But apparently they were there when he created the universe, when he created the world, the heavens and the earth. And they shouted with joy at the creation. You remember when we go back to Genesis 1 and we read about the creation, everything is done and it's all, and it was good. God says it was good, right? Everything was created and it was good. And you can imagine the heavenly host praising God, singing, shouting, shouting for joy as that was going on, right? What a wonderful picture to think about. We don't think about those things, right, when we read about this stuff. But it's awesome to think about the heavenly uh, vision of what that must have been like when this was going on. The angels, the heavenly hosts were praising him, shouting with joy that he had created this world, this universe. So we have the sons of God that were there at the time. Another thing we want to read about is let's turn over to uh, Genesis 6. And this is a very interesting passage. I know you've probably studied it at some point and wondered what in the world is this talking about. So Genesis 6, and let's begin in verse 1. <coughs> Genesis 6, verse 1. Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. And there were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. So here we have a reference to somebody, not exactly sure who we were talking about here. Scholars have different views on this, right? Some would say, well... That was Seth's sons who went out and saw the daughters of Cain that were able to uh, mate with them or get together with them because they saw that they were beautiful. But others believe, and I kind of tend to lean this way, that these were angels, perhaps fallen angels that had come to earth, that, or maybe they had uh, seen the beauty of, daughters, of the daughters of Cain or Seth and uh, decided to get together with them. This is probably what most scholars will tell you, and, and it kind of goes along with some other verses. If we'll turn over to 2 Peter chapter 2, there's some references to this kind of thing. 2 Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> Gotta just go all the way back to the end there. And let's begin with verse, let's just read verse 4. He says, Peter says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved to judgment. And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example of those who afterward would live ungodly and deliver righteous lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, 
For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. We're going to read a little bit about the Lot situation here in a little bit. But Peter's making the point that there were angels that fell to earth that went to hell because of what they'd done or sent that way. So a lot, of, a lot of scholars would say that's what we're talking about here. Turn over to Jude. And let's read verse, uh, verse 6 from Jude. This is going to be another reference to it. Actually, start with verse 5. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So, we have a reference here to angels who fell, angels who rejected God, or perhaps were puffed up. And we know Satan was puffed up, right? He was, he was puffed up, uh, wanted to be like God, and he was punished for it. So we have references that perhaps tell us a little bit what was going on there at the time. Don't know that for sure, but most likely these were angels or, or messengers that had, had fallen. Looking on in the patriarchal age, we can look at the life of Abraham, of course. A lot of stuff was going on there in Genesis 16. Last week we read about Hagar, right? Now the angel of the Lord came to Hagar and told her she was to bear a child. She'd been cast out because Sarah was uh, jealous that she became uh, pregnant and uh, talked about how that uh, Ishmael would become a, a great nation through him and that, the, she, and that uh, Hagar would be taken care of. Now turn over to chapter 18. And let's see some other stuff that was going on. Chapter 18 and verse 1, <coughs> Genesis 18. He says, Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, and he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him when he saw them. And he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your heart. And after that you may pass by in as much as you have come to your servant. Here we have angels coming to Abraham. Uh, and and you're gonna, we're not gonna, I didn't read all the way into that, but we have the angels who speak for the Lord. or we, It even says as the Lord spoke, right? So perhaps one of these was true the Lord in the human form. We're not sure about that, but we do have the references there. Turn over to chapter 19. Let's read a bit about what these two angels end up doing. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw him, he rose to meet him, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and he said, Here, here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. He insisted strongly. So they turned into him, and entered his house, and then he made a feast, and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounding the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who come to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish, only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. 
And they said, stand back. And then they said, this one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Interesting story, right? One thing I want to point out there is if you think that the world is bad now, just read about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? I mean, that's, there's some pretty nasty stuff going on. Here, Lot has these angels that come to meet him in the form of a man, and the city wants to know them carnally. Even offers his own virgin daughters, and they reject him. How depraved is that, right? You thought about it. Have you ever thought about how depraved that is? Sodom and Gomorrah were just gone. They were just totally, completely gone, right? And, you know, you think about things that are going on in our world today. Well, it's not the first time these things have happened. Now, I don't know if we're in the last days for sure or not. I think we probably are. I think the world is going to pot, right? It's just as the Scripture has foretold, right? We've been told that there will be a great falling away before the end, and I think that's probably true. Don't know for sure, but I think that's probably true. But it's not like this has never happened before. Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked, and the reference is specifically the sexual piece of it. That's the greatest wickedness of it. Not that they were killing people or, or necessarily worshiping idols. I'm sure that was going on. But the reference here in Sodom and Gomorrah is the immorality, the wickedness of the immorality. And, you know, just think about that. We, we tend to get kind of complacent when we say things going on in our world, right? There's stuff going on all the time that's just totally against Scripture. But this was something that's been going on over time after time after time. Man continues to fall, to get away from God, and that goes on all the time. I know I'm getting on my soapbox there a little bit. But the point being is these angels came to Abraham and to Lot. And then, of course, we know the story. Lot is able to leave with his wife and his daughters. And uh, what's his wife do? Turns and looks back. He's turned into a pillar of salt. And they eventually escape. And, of course, we even know the story how, uh, you know, that they go and are escaped to become uh, part of the, I guess, well, they end up back with Abraham. He helps them out and all that stuff. But that's the story. The point is, these angels have come to prepare Abraham um, and Lot for destruction, judgment that's coming. Interesting concept, right? Here we have the Lord warning Abraham and Lot about what's to come. Kind of like what Christ did, right? Kind of like what the apostles did for us. Interesting how that keeps occurring over and over and over. Uh, <clears throat> another reference there, I'm not going to read it, but in Genesis 24, we have uh, Isaac uh, Abraham is confident that an angel will uh, guide his servant in finding a wife for Isaac. So an angel has to go and find a wife for Isaac. That's another help, another ministry that an angel provides for Abraham. And then we look at the life of Jacob. Turn over to Genesis 28. And let's see some verses we can read about the angels ministering to, uh, to Jacob there. <clears throat> 28 and verse 10. He says, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. 
Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. All yours also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and to you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be best. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Here we have God speaking to Jacob, telling him about his descendants, the great nation that's going to come through him after he has this vision of the angels ascending and descending from heaven. Don't know how many that were. Apparently that must have been a lot, and it was quite a dream that he had. Turn over to chapter 31. <coughs> verse 11. Actually, start at verse 10. And he had happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rounds which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift your eyes now and see all the rounds which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you have anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now rise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. Here we have the angel of the Lord speaking to Jacob in a dream, telling him to get out of there. Now the angel of the Lord is an interesting phrase, and we're going to have a we're going to study about that a little further, not today so much, uh, and and try to see is that actually an angel of the Lord, or is it the Lord? Because it always talks about the angel of the Lord came and spoke, and he's speaking like God, right? So it's a little confusing, and we'll get into that a little deeper. Uh, on another another day uh, also we have angels that met him on his return ja and when he's coming back to Mahanam Jacob meets angels there and then a very interesting passage which I know you've all read and probably didn't necessarily understand completely and not sure I do either but if we go to verse 22 of chapter 32 and we read about Jacob wrestling with a man 22 and he, verse 22 and he rose that night and took his two wives his two female servants and his eleven sons, and crossed over the fort of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. He said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with him, and, and struggled with men, and, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore to this day the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the muscle that shrank. Here we have a reference to Jacob wrestling with a man all night. It looks like he's wrestling with God, right? But if you turn over to Hosea, and if you want to turn over there with me, we'll read a passage from there. See what Hosea has to say about this instance. Hosea chapter 12. And let's just uh, begin verse 1. He says, Ephraim feeds on the wind, 
and pursues the east wind. He daily increases lives and desolations. And they make a covenant with the Assyrians, and oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord also brings a charge against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. According to his deeds, he will recompense him. He took his brother by the heel and the womb, and in his strength he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spoke to us. So here we have a passage from Hosea talking about that specific instance that we just read about, and he says he struggled with God, and then he says he struggled with an angel. So what is it? Is it an angel? Is it God? Is it both? Interesting concept. And again, we'll talk about that angel of the Lord a little later. But that's a confusing passage, I know. I believe he was struggling with God. I believe that was the purpose. God showed him. But we have these references to the angel of the Lord and the angel being the same as God all through the Old Testament. And like I said, we'll get into that more. I keep teasing that, but we're not going to get into it in depth today. All right. Also, toward the end of his life, he refers, in Genesis 48, he refers to the angel who had redeemed him from all evil. That was Jacob. So we have several instances in Jacob's life where an angel ministered to him, gave him a vision. Or was it God? Was it the angel? Was it God? Or was it both an angel and God? What was it exactly? All right, moving on to the life of Moses. Let's turn over to Exodus and begin looking chapter 1. <laughs> actually, actually, Exodus chapter 3, I'm sorry. And look at some stuff that happened with Moses here. Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. <clears throat> and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Now, when you're in BBS and you talk about the burning bush, or when you sing about it, or when you buy a Sunday school class when you were a kid, were you told, who were you told appeared to Moses in the bush? God, right? Yeah. But right here it says it was the angel of the Lord speaking to him in the bush. Interesting. Well, was it God? Or was it an angel? Or was it both? Here again, we have that same phrase, right? The angel of the Lord speaking to Moses in the bush. Turn over to Exodus chapter 14. Fourteen and uh, verse 19. And the angel of God, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before them and stood before them. So it, came, so it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and a darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Well, wait a minute. I thought it was God that it was in the cloud or was in the at light, at light at night. I thought God led the Israelites out of Egypt. Well, Exodus 14, it says the angel of the Lord led them out. Well, okay. You know, the Passover feast was this big feast that the Israelites had to observe once they came into their promised land, right? The Passover feast honored the fact that God gave them liberty. Interesting, right? But we say that 
this passage says the angel of the Lord. So who is this angel of the Lord? Is it God? Interesting concept, right? We can continue on and on about that. Let's go now and look at stuff that was going on during the Mosaic Age. Turn over to Exodus 23, and let's see some passages about that. Exodus 23, <coughs> and 20, verse 20. It says, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed by obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hevites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. Okay, so here we have God saying, my angel is going to lead you. This one doesn't say angel of the Lord, like we read there in the previous passage. So now we're seeing, well, maybe there was an angel leading them out of uh, Egypt. There was an angel leading them through the wilderness in the cloud and light it in the fire at night. It's confusing, I know. Got a lot of different passages. Here's God telling them what's going to happen and what he's going to do for them as long as they are obedient to him and they stay with him. Interesting, right? <coughs> this is the wildest story. Turn over to Numbers. And uh, let's read about uh, Balaam. One of the most, uh, I think, one of the most interesting stories in the Old Testament. Balaam, uh, Numbers chapter 22. And we're going to read some stuff about an angel and a donkey. Numbers 22, verse 22. And God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of the Lord took a stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey. Two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, there's that same phrase again, standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. And then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on the side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood at a narrow place when there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with a staff. Balaam seems kind of mean to me. Anyways, then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Now, if a donkey started speaking to me, well, I don't think I'd been hanging around there very long. But Balaam said to the donkey, because you abused me. I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. I don't know that I would be talking back to the donkey either. But Balaam did. So the donkey said to Balaam, am I, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head, and he fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you, because your way 
is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would also have killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. And then the angel of the Lord said, No, Balaam, go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Here we have an instance again of the angel of the Lord that appears to the donkey first and then to Balaam. This appears to be more of an angel, right? But that same phrase is used. And the angel talks to him as if he's God, though. So it's, it's very confusing. It's a little bit hard to understand if that's really an angel. Is it really God? What are we talking about exactly there? Most interesting story, right? I mean, the donkey talks to him, right? And he actually talks back. It's crazy. But that's another instance that we have. And this is during the Mosaic period after the giving of the law. Turn over to Joshua. Let's read some passages from there. Joshua chapter 5. Let's see something else here. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 5, and this is, of course, um, during the time at Jericho, you know, when, when they're around the walls, they're going to march around the walls, then the Jericho, the walls of Jericho will fall. Chapter 5, verse 13, it says that it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but as commander of the Lord, as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face, face to the earth and whispered, watched him and said, him, said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Okay, we have an interesting discussion here, right? When you think about the walls of Jericho falling, do you remember that passage? There was perhaps an angel there with Joshua at that moment. Was this the angel of the Lord, or was it the Lord himself? Whoever it was, he said, this is holy. Take your shoes off. This land, is place, this place is holy. So this is an interesting passage when we talk about the walls falling at Jericho. If nothing else, this vision or picture here shows us that the Lord was with Joshua and the Israelites at this time. He's there leading the army. Don't know if this army he refers to is perhaps the heavenly host. I mean, the walls do fall simply by shouting, right? What caused the walls to fall? Hmm. Well, a lot of people speculate there was an earthquake or you know, all these kinds of things. Or maybe it was the division of angels. Don't see that in Scripture, but perhaps that's what this guy's doing. He's leading an army of angels to tear down the walls of Jericho. Interesting kind of stuff. Some things we don't necessarily think about, though, right, when we read these stories. Uh, time of the Judges. They're in, uh, turn over to Judges. And turn to chapter 5 there. Let's read something there. <clears throat> this is the time of Deborah, the judge. And let's look at verse uh, 23. 
Deborah's told to curse Moraz. Verse 23, curse Moraz, said the angel of the Lord, curse its inhabitants bitterly because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Here we have that angel of the Lord again, conversing with Deborah, telling them to curse Moraz, the land. Also, chapter 6, we turn over there. Verse 11, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was an Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the, the uh, Abiaz, the Abiaz, right, whatever that is, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the white pre- wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, And the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? All right. Here we have, at first it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. But then in verse 14 it says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, There we have it again. Is the angel of the Lord an actual angel? Or is the angel of the Lord actually the Lord? And you can say, oh, what difference does it make? Well, that's true, but we're looking at passages and trying to understand some things about angels. And I think this is very interesting. All right, where else can we talk about? Let's turn over to Judges chapter 13. Uh, And let's look at verse, uh, this is around the time of Samson. Let's look at verse, uh, start with verse 8. And Manoah is the uh, father of Samson. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. That's Zorah. He had already come to her once. Didn't come to Manoah. Manoah was praying that he'll come to to see him too. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day was just now appeared to me. So Manoah rose and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to the woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's, boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. For all that I commanded, let her observe. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. Angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was an angel of the Lord. Wait a minute, there's that angel of the Lord again. Is this actually an angel, or is it God? Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with a grain offering and offered a pond to the rock of the Lord, and he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar. The angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. Interesting vision, right? Picture. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. And when the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. The references here seem to make it think this is truly an angel. It's not actually the Lord, but he is speaking for the Lord, and he ascends in the flame. 
Interesting, right? They have an ascension straight into heaven. Very interesting pictures. Some stuff we don't necessarily notice when we're reading this stuff. Another good concept, and this goes to the point we made earlier, how the angels were there to minister to those who were receiving salvation. Turn over to uh, uh, 1 Kings <coughs> uh, chapter uh, 19. And we're going to read about Elijah and an angel. This, you know the story of Elijah and how Ahab and Jezebel, Ahab was king, Jezebel was evil, his wife, and she wanted to kill Elijah, right? Because he was telling her some stuff about herself that went good. Beginning in verse 1, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and the world so if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Jezebel said, hey, dude, because you did that to me, you better be watching out, because when I time's time tomorrow, you're going to be dead. That's what she's saying there. So Elijah has to run for his life, and he, went, he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And Elijah's Got a little stress going there. Jezebel's got him under her thumb a little bit. Verse 5. And as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him, and he said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of food forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Elijah was in fear of his life. And what happens? The angel of the Lord comes and sustains him, comforts him, comforts him, ministers to him. Just like we read about in Hebrews that the messengers or the angels are doing for us. Interesting story. I love that about how Elijah's strengthened, perhaps, through that and how he's able to uh, go on with his life. We're running out of time here. I want to talk about uh, one other thing in the Babylonian captivity. Uh, if you'll turn over yeah, real quickly to Daniel. And uh, I want to read in cha Daniel chapter 4 real quick. And this is Nebuchadnezzar having a dream. <clears throat> Verse, uh, let's see. Let's go to verse 13. Daniel 4, verse 13. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, there was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said, Thus, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit, that the beast get out from under and the birds from its branches. And then down to uh, verse 17. He says, This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones. In order that they living, they may know. 
wanted to point out this is another phrase being used here. Nebuchadnezzar is talking about the watchers in his dream. Apparently, these are angels. Most would say that these are angels. We're running out of time. Uh, Daniel 8, Gabriel interprets a vision for Daniel. Daniel has so much reference to angels because he has so many visions and so forth. And if you've had a study of Daniel, you understand that. Uh, we read last week about the man that appeared to Daniel, said he was detained until Michael came and helped him. In the book of Zechariah, we see visions to Zechariah uh, of angels. This is so, uh, this is after the return, uh, trying to get uh, Zechariah and the Israelites to build the temple, encouraging him to do so. And if you have your outline, there's a whole section there of psalms that refer to angels. And I don't have time to go through all those, but I would encourage you to continue to read over, to look at those. Uh, there's many references there. One last uh, verse I want to read is 1 Peter 1. Let's turn over there. And <clears throat> verse, uh, let's start with verse 8. Uh, actually, start with verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a, little, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, who having not seen you love, though you not, now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy and express one full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of the salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified before the sufferings of Christ and the glories of that would follow to them it was revealed that not to themselves but to thus us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into now i think that is a very interesting a great phrase to end on right there the angels apparently want to know about the plan of salvation what an interesting concept they didn't necessarily know what it was and, of course, we know they rejoiced when it occurred. Interesting. All right, sorry for going over.